Good morning, folks. It's good to see all of you here this morning. And uh, am I doing something wrong? No? Talking? Is that wrong? Maybe my mic's not where it needs to be. Um, Walking in this place this morning, my mind is just flooded uh, with all kinds of memories. There's all kinds of stories I could tell you about this place. Uh, and, and, uh, but you're not here for that. And, uh, and I, I would like to have the time to do that, but I really want to share with you what time I do have with you this morning about something hopefully most of you already know, and that's how wonderful Jesus is, okay? Uh, and so, um, I remember a few weeks ago, I, I do coach quite a few church planners all over the nation and other parts uh, of the world, and I remember talking to a young church planner, and uh, he shared with me his goal was to uh, have uh, in his church uh, a disciple-making process. He wanted disciples who would, in turn, make other disciples. And so I thought a very good question for him was, is he first needed to identify uh, what a disciple looks like. How would he know as a pastor if his, if his folks were moving along in the discipleship process? What outward signs would there be uh, that would show him that they were becoming disciples that made other disciples? And I, I listened to his answers, and as I listened to his answers, I, I remember they were far different from what I learned when I was first saved in 1976. In 1976, I became a member of a church down the road here at Peace in Oswego. It was called the Landmark Missionary Baptist Church there in in Oswego. And uh, I was a brand new Christian. I did not grow up in a Christian home. So after I was saved in 76, everything was brand spanking new to me. I mean, I was like a clean slate ready for somebody to write on me about the Christian life. And I really did want to fit in. I had that sense. I, I want to fit into this, this new uh, culture of, of being a Christian, of, of being a part of a church family. And so I had my eyes wide open. I listened very closely to the, to the members of the church and to the pastors and to the teachers. And soon I began to pick up what it meant in 1976, in the place that I was at, what it meant to be a maturing Christian, a spiritual Christian. And these are the things that I learned. Number one, if I was going to be a maturing Christian, a disciple, I would show up for Sunday school. Now, we had something called Sunday school back then, and, and you would be in that Sunday school place. And you would always, always, unless uh, you were severely ill, you would be there for the Sunday morning service no matter what. In those days, we actually had a, an evening service, but before the evening service, there was another kind of, we called it BTS, Bible Training Service. It was like another Sunday school before the evening service. A maturing Christian would make sure he was there as well. Stay, stuck around for the uh, evening service. And then, of course, Wednesday rolled around, right? And so if I wanted to be that maturing Christian, I would make sure I was there on Wednesday night. We we even had this little, uh, they even had this little, uh, little thing that they taught me. And it went something like this. Those who love the pastor come on Sunday morning. You're loved, brother. That's good. But it went on to say those who love the church, they come on Sunday night, Sunday evening. 
And those who love the Lord, well, they'll also show up on Wednesday evening as well. Well, I certainly wanted to be that person who loved his pastor, his church, and the Lord as well. And so I was there. I also learned that I would tithe of my income, pre-tax tithing, okay? I also learned that I would participate in every other activity that happened at church. And I guess along the line, after being there a year, I also learned that this maturing Christian that I wanted to become, I wanted to fit in, that I would also mow the church grass uh, as well. And so, in other words, it seemed to me that all of my responsibilities in the Christian life and the proper response to the one who had bled and died and hung on a cross and then was resurrected again, for me, it seemed like the proper response was simply, go to church. If I was at church, everything was uh, okay. I even remember the day, and none of you are going to be able to identify with this, and I I know I stand here alone with this, but I remember the day that my wife and I got into a disagreement. We were also married in 1976 as well, so a lot lot of brand new stuff in my life, and and we got into a little argument, and I I thought to myself in in my newborn Christian life, I'll show her I won't go to church. I didn't go to church that morning. She went without me. And that afternoon, guess who showed up at my door? Uh, The pastor, uh, another preacher, a couple of other men showed up at my door after lunch saying, hey, we missed you at church today. You see, I was really getting this lesson that to, to be what I needed to be in the Lord, it had to be about coming to church. You know what? I surrendered to preach uh, in 1980, and uh, I soon had my first uh, pastorate, and I found myself pretty much passing along everything that I learned as a newborn Christian in 1976. As a pastor, that was kind of my expectation of folks. When we had the doors open here at Antioch or at Northside, uh, you ought to be here uh, in the pews. Now, I want to say something to you so you don't misunderstand me. That is, going to church is important. You, you really ought to go there. The Bible teaches that it's important. The Bible teaches us that, that God made us to, to have other people in our lives. So, and we are a social people. But the Bible teaches that we need to come together, not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves, so that we might, uh, you know, lift one another, encourage one another, so that we can hopefully celebrate. Hopefully this morning we were celebrating what God has done with us prior to us coming here this Sunday. What God has done with us in the, in the past week or so. And so that is important. But I think there's more now. I finally came to learn that there's more to, be, to being a maturing Christian, a disciple who would in turn make disciples, than just simply going to church and taking my place uh, in the pew. That in and all by itself, I do not think, uh, is enough. Our scripture reading this morning was from John chapter 20, and I think it's an important passage of scripture. It's that passage of scripture that tells us that the disciples were hiding behind closed doors. Uh, they had gotten word, some ladies had come along and says, the Lord is risen, but many of the disciples had not yet seen the Lord yet. They didn't really know what was going on. But they had a lot of fear in their heart. They were afraid that what happened to Jesus might very well happen to them as well. 
And so there they are, uh, locked behind closed doors, when Jesus walks in. I mean, he just walks in. He doesn't need to pick the lock or anything. He, he just walks in. And so I think to myself, wow, here it is. This is this moment where they haven't seen him for three days. They're wondering, is he alive or is he not? What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to this thing called Christianity? And there is the Lord right before them. And so I think to myself, this has got to be a very important moment in their life. What will Jesus say to them in this very first time that they see the risen Savior? And you know what? He basically says two things to them. If you remember in the scripture reading, he says it twice. He says to them, peace be unto you. He wishes peace for them. And certainly they needed that, did they not? Because they, they were afraid. They, they didn't know what was going to happen. Maybe their lives were going to end because of their associations with this uh, Jesus. But the Lord says, you need to have peace. You, you can have my peace. And he, he wishes that peace upon them. They needed that. That was good. But the second thing that he said to them was this. He said this to them. As the Father has sent me, I now send you. And you know what? I, I begin to wonder if, uh, did he really mean that? Maybe they wondered, does Jesus really mean that? I mean, we're in this room. It's kind of tight in this room. It's kind of hot and sweltering in this room. But we like close fellowship. And we have a certain sense of being safe here. We're safe as long as we're behind this closed door. And now Jesus is talking about sending us out into that world. Does he really mean it? And I believe the Lord really did mean it. We think back to, uh, we think forward to what he would say to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he says to them, you are going to be witnesses for me uh, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. And guess what? It's hard to do that. To be that kind of a witness while you're hiding behind closed doors. I hope you understand that I have a sense that many, many times in my life, in my Christian life, I was hiding behind what we might call the closed doors of the church. That this is a safe place to be. There's people who have like minds, like me, who have a heart for Jesus uh, like me. We're, we're safe all together here. But you know what? We need to come together. God is glad we're here. His Holy Spirit, as we've just sung, uh, uh, we enjoy His presence. But when the church services are over today and we leave, we need to realize we still got a big part of the mission ahead of us, and that's simply this. As the Father sent me, I uh, send you. And so, I want to look at this a little bit more closely today. I want us to think about that. Jesus makes this comparison. As the Father has sent me, I now send you. And, I, and I've wondered, well, what does that mean? What does that look like uh, in my life? As I think about how the Father sent Jesus, how might that apply uh, in my life? And, and to answer partially that question... I want us to look at Philippians chapter 2. Would you turn there with me in your Bible? If you brought your Bible, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. 
where the Apostle Paul, writing to the Philippians, he does make this comparison. He too says that we ought to have the mind like Christ had. As the Father sent Christ with a certain mindset, with a certain heart, Paul invites Christians down through the ages to have the same kind of heart, to have the same kind of mind as well. And so we look at verse 1 there, Philippians chapter 2, and this is what the Bible says. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And I, I think that w- those words right there, for the interests of others, goes all the way back to when Jesus says, as the Father had sent me because he was interested in you, I now send you because you ought to be interested in others. He goes on, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Before we continue, let's pray one more time. Father, we are indeed so happy uh, to be in this place of worship this morning. And Father, I want to say to you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for taking the little bit of work uh, that my family did here and blessing it as you have done these past 30 years. It, It is so wonderful to stand here in the midst of these people and to hear the worship that's going on here, to hear about lives that are being changed. So thankful for Brother Corey's testimony uh, this morning, Lord. And I know we could go out throughout the pews here and we could hear many other testimonies that would sound like his. And for that, Lord, uh, we give you thanks. Now, Lord, take your word this morning and impress upon our hearts that there's much more to being a Christian, to being a disciple, than just showing up at church. That uh, out there in this world, there are people who need to hear your story. They need to hear how your story has affected us, how it has changed our lives. And so, Father, cause us to be interested in other people that we might share Christ with them in the multitude of ways that we're able to do that outside of the four walls of the church. Teach us, Lord, to have the same mind that you had when you left the portals of glory and came here to earth to minister to us, to sacrifice your life for us. Lord, we love you. We're very grateful for the forgiveness of our sins. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me quickly run through some things that I believe uh, answers the question, what does it mean to be sent by God? And the first one is this. We need to realize when we look at this example in Philippians that God has sent his very best. Now, write that down. God has sent 
his very best. When he sent Jesus, he sent his very best. A few years ago, well, it's been more than a few years ago, back in 1996, um, I was 100 pounds heavier. In 1996, I was 100 pounds heavier, and my heart was in a really bad condition where I needed a quadruple bypass surgery. And so in 1996, I had that done. And you can imagine, as I thought about somebody, you know, setting a straddle of me with a saw, sawing into my rib bones, you know, my breastbone to get to my heart, I thought, wow, I don't know that I want someone doing that. But if I have to have it done, I want someone to do it who's very good. And so I asked around and I asked around and I finally got a name that just kept coming up. He is one of the best surgeons uh, that can do this for you. And this happened while we were living in Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee wasn't far away. And he, he does surgery in Tennessee. So I set up an appointment and I went and said to him, sat down with him and he looked at all my, you know, my records and he says, yes, you, you need a quadruple bypass surgery. I said, okay, that's good. I said, well, I got a couple of questions for you. And he said, shoot, tell me what they are. I said, the first one is this is, well, how many of these have you done? You know, he, you know, he kind of smiled. He says, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. That's a fair question. He says, I've done 2,000 uh, of these surgeries. And I thought to myself, wow, that's great. That's great. 2,000. You ought to know what he's doing when, when he's inside my chest, right? And so that made me happy. And so then I, ha- well, I got another question. He said, what's that? And I said, well, how many of those 2,000 were successful? <laughs> you know, and he laughed and he says, well, he says, to tell you the truth, I've got a, a 98% success rate. And I again thought, well, that's pretty good, nine, 98%, you know. And so I thought, okay, you, you can do it. You're the man. And, and so, you know, I laid down on the cart and they wheeled me into the operating theater. But imagine just for a moment, there I was, not really wanting to do this, but content that I had the right man who was going to do the surgery on my heart. But imagine if someone had walked in and said, Danny, we're sorry, but uh, the doctor is all tied up. He had an early uh, golf game today, and he's not going to be here to do it. But he's got one of his interns here that he's got a lot of confidence in, and he's going to do that surgery for you today. Can you imagine how I might have felt? I, I probably would have got up off of that table if I could. They hadn't drugged me out, you know, and, and just left. That would have been because, you see, I wanted the very best. And when it comes to you and I and the sinful condition that we were all born into, when it comes to you and I having those sins taken care of, the penalty for those sins taken care of, God decided long ago, long ago, that he would send his very best. He wouldn't send another human. He wouldn't send an animal. He wouldn't send an angel. He would send his only son. Better than that, I kind of like to think that God sent himself. Because the Bible tells us that God is a triune God, right? The Bible is clear that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit uh, are one. Jesus even says, I and the Father, uh, uh, we're one, okay? And so when... When God says, when Jesus said to them, God sent me, we realize that God sent his best. But then Jesus says, now I send you. And I want to make a correlation there, folks. When I think about the world today, when I think about a world who needs to hear the story that Jesus came and died and bled and died for them that their sins could be forgiven, 
that they could have eternal life if they put their faith and their belief in Him. I believe that God has sent His very best into the world to do that now. And who is it? It's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, 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 okay? It's all of us. We are God's best. You know what? And and I think it's very difficult for us to think about it that way, that we are God's best, and yet, you know, the Bible is clear. When it describes us, it talks about how we are, you know, God's children. It says that we are joint heirs with Christ. It talks about how we are the temple of God and His Holy Spirit, uh, resides in us. It, it talks about us being uh, the, the princes of God, uh, the priests, the holy priests of God. And over and over again, the Bible kind of puts us up here. Here's another way to think about it. When it comes to salvation, God has a plan A. And that plan A is Jesus Christ. And that plan A is for you and I to go out into this world and share that story. Can I get an amen on that? Yes. And you know what God's plan B is if we fail to pick up on plan A and carry it forth? You know what his plan B is? There is none. There is, I've, I haven't found one yet. There isn't any. You and I have been sent into this world. We're God's best. We are God's uh, plan A. And so what I'm trying to say to all of us is this, is why did Jesus say that? As the Father has sent me, I understand, he sent his very best, I understand that. But now Jesus says, I send you. It's because God really believes in us. He really believes that because we have experienced salvation, forgiveness, that we, because we have experienced grace in our own lives, we are the best ones to go out there and get that story out to a lost and dying world. I don't know what you've thought about yourself as far as being a witness and giving testimony what God can do. But know this, you are God's plan A for getting that done. And so it's time for all of us uh, to grab hold of that task, gladly to go out there and represent Jesus. The second thing that I notice in this text is this. Those who are sent go forth as servants. Jesus is God's best. He's equal with God in position and power. And yet notice what the Bible says here about how Jesus was sent into the world. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Jesus, although he was God, he was all God, he humbled himself and he became a man. Uh, Not a rich man. Not a ruler of men, not a CEO of men, but a servant of men. Jesus would say that he came into the world not to be served, uh, but to serve. This is how Jesus was sent. And again, I think about ourselves. Uh, We are God's best. We are God's plan A. Yet at the same time, we are to go forth from this place as being sent as servants. We go into this world with a servant's heart with a servant's mentality, any sense of what I might call false pride that we might have because I'm part of God's plan A, because I'm the way that God has chosen to seek out the lost and let them hear the story of Jesus Christ. Whatever kind of pride we might have in that, we need to set that aside. I think Jesus illustrated that truth for us in a great way 
And John chapter 13, you know the story about how Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. But this is what the Bible says in verse 13 of that chapter. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And, and I read those verses of Scripture and I realize, you all realize, that we have been sent, Jesus says, even so, as the Father sent me, I send you. And, but we can never be greater than the one who sent us. And if Jesus came into this world and served this world as a slave, uh, then we too need to have that mentality uh, as well. We need to have that servant's heart. If it's not there, we're going to have a hard time being a disciple who makes other disciples. There's a third thing here in our text, and it's this, those who are sent, those who are sent will never say no to God. How far would Jesus go in his obedience to his heavenly Father? How, would, how far would he go to obey the one who had sent him? Well, Philippians 2 verse 8 tells us this. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Dying on the cross was a terrible thing in and of itself. But in the days of Christ, I, I think it was much worse. You know, the Roman government, they dished out this kind of capital punishment left and right uh, to anybody uh, whom they thought worthy uh, of a capital punishment uh, would be put to death on the cross. They did that no matter who you were. Oh, except, there, there was an exception, Brother Paul, and that is if you had Roman citizenship. You see, they, they wouldn't crucify a Roman citizen because crucifixion was too cruel. It was too inhumane for a citizen of Rome. But for everybody else in the world, that shameful death, they could experience that. It was, it was okay for them. And yet, the Roman government, in their thinking, they would still crucify the very Son of God. And we find in the Bible that Jesus obeyed God's will for his life to die in our place. And it was a hard thing for Jesus. We need to realize how hard it was for him. All we had to do is go back to the Garden of Gethsemane and we see him praying there and sweating uh, great drops of blood uh, as he said to the Lord, Lord, if it's possible for this cup, for this crucifixion to just simply go away, pass from me. He prayed that, and yet he went on. He stayed obedient to his heavenly Father. He did not say no to God, and he said, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. And Jesus was obedient to his heavenly Father, even to the point of dying that cruel, shameful death uh, on the cross. We need to ask ourselves, how obedient are we are are we to God's word? Have we ever said no 
to God? Have we felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit uh, to do something? Perhaps the church has said, has said we need some help in this particular area uh, to, to minister to our community, uh, to do some ministry in our church. And we felt, we felt the Holy Spirit elbowing, saying, I, I want you to do that. And yet we just said no. Well, we, we had reasons, of course, why we said no. I'm too shy. I'm not gifted enough. I don't have enough time. Uh, the, the best excuse that I ever used was somebody else can do it. I tell people when I get to heaven, have you ever heard Brother Paul say this? When I get to heaven, I first want to meet Jesus. And then the next person I want to meet in heaven is that guy called somebody else. Because he did so many things that I should have done. I need to thank him, right? Have we done that? Well, if we're going to be disciple-making disciplers, uh, then we never say no to God. I remember in 1980 when God was uh, calling me to preach and I made the decision to pick up my family and leave Aurora, Illinois, and we went to Jacksonville, Texas to attend uh, Bible college and seminary. At the time, you could do both. And so I, I wanted both. I was taking a full load of courses at the, at the college, but I was taking some classes at the seminary as well. And so I was what you might call a full-time student at the time. But we still had, we had four children, and we needed to live. We needed to feed them. And so we begin to look for jobs that we could have. My, my wife got a job down at a daycare uh, and was working there. And one day she came home and says, hey, I got a job for you. And it'll fit right in your schedule. You just show up right when daycare is ending. And you can just help get the kids in their parents' cars and help clean up and get the place all spick and span after they're all gone. I thought, okay, cool. It fits in my schedule. I have no classes then. And I'll be helping make some money for, for our family. And so I, I took the job. Now, you need to understand something. That job just paid minimum wage. In 1980, I think it was $3. It's a minimum wage job. Prior to moving from Illinois down to Texas, prior to surrendering to the ministry, I was a heavy equipment operator. And that just means I dug a lot of holes with a back hole and then pushed them back in, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And, and would today, if someone puts me on a backhoe, I would thoroughly enjoy digging a hole and filling it back in. It's just a big kid of me. I, I love doing that. But you know what was really great about that job, digging holes and filling back in? <laughs> Up here in this area, they paid you all kinds of good money to do that. I made a lot of money at that. And now there I was, just a, one year later, and I found myself one day uh, in that daycare in... The little boy's bathroom. You know, these are, these are preschoolers, right? And you know what they had in that bathroom for them little preschoolers? They had little bitty toilets. And, and kids, kids, boys, guess what? They were little bitty. They were their size, right? They still couldn't hit those things. <laughs> so every day, part of my job was to get down so they're so little and I had to get under them. I had to get on my hands and knees and wipe up where they'd missed the toilet. And I remember they're sitting there one day, and all of a sudden this thought came to my head, God, what have you done to me? I used to be a heavy equipment operator. I was in the union, the engineer, 150. I was making all kinds of money, and now... Now look at me, I operated big machines and people were scared of me when I came around with my big 
big machines. And now look at what I'm doing. Why am I doing this, God? And, and we talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as I was thinking that, whining about my situation, God just reminded me, but Danny, you said that you surrendered your life to the ministry. You said you would go anywhere I led you to go. You told me that you wanted to come down here to better prepare yourself to serve me in the pastorate, in the ministry. And so here it is, Danny. I'm allowing you to do that. I'm making that possible. And now I'm giving you a job that you can, you can provide for your family. It was as if God says, I don't know what you're complaining about. I don't know why you're... Well, it sounds like, Danny, you're wanting to say no. No to me. That's what it felt like. And you know what? I realized that's exactly what I was doing. And if I would say no to wiping up some urine under a little bitty toilet, there isn't much telling what I would say no to when I got into the ministry. And there's been many, many times that I wanted to quit. I wanted to step down. I wanted to say no uh, to God. And uh, I remember, though, that Jesus didn't say no to God when it meant costing him his life, hanging on the cross there. And you and I, uh, we need to make sure that doesn't happen to us as well. Let me finish up here. There's a fourth thing that I want you to notice. And I hesitate to put it in here because the other three are, are good enough. You're God's best. You ought to just go knowing that you are plan A. You know, that, that's the way it ought to be. You know, you ought to be obedient to, uh, to God's word and never say no. You ought to go with that humble servant's heart, just like Jesus humbly served us. But here's one more reason, and it's this. Those who are sent, I notice here in this chapter, will share in God's exaltation of Christ. Philippians 2, verse 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. God watched his son being sent into this world, and then he watched him being mocked, and he watched him being crucified, and how hard that must have been for God the Father. But because his son was sent, the Bible says here, one day God is also going to publicly, before the whole world, before anybody who was ever born, he is publicly going to exalt him, and that every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is endured, is indeed Lord. And you know what? One day, no matter how hard life has been here for us, no matter how many jobs we found ourselves doing that, well, we wish we just had another job. No, no, matter, no matter the hardships and the pain that comes, and sometimes it comes when you're part of a church family as well. I found that out. No matter how much of that has happened, uh, God one day is going to make it all worthwhile. God one day is going to exalt us in due time. I read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, and you, you know it's about the end times and, oh, how we like the end times to come. And, and it says this, John says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. 
Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. That's, that's talking about me, folks. It's talking about you if you know Christ as your Savior. The second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. I'm the first one to tell you that I do not deserve that. I should not reign with Christ one day. There's nothing about Danny Kirk that, that warrants that. But this is God's promise to us, that those of us who are a part of that first resurrection, one day we will reign with Jesus over this world for a, a thousand years. And so, folks, I, I, I come down to this moment, and I, I want you to know the whole truth about the Christian life. We must gather together. We must go to church but we are also the sent ones as well. We're not only the, the gathered ones, you know, but, but we are uh, the sent, sent ones. We must leave this gathering place and go out there and make a difference, try to make a difference in the lives of other people. You know, I, I think, again, uh, Corey's example, Brother Corey's example uh, of a gentleman, of Gary, who went out of these four walls and shared his faith. Uh, with someone else. And Corey's going to go to heaven and be with the rest of us one day because of the faithfulness of, uh, of one man. And so we need to serve them just like our Savior served others uh, when he came. As my Father has sent me, I want you to think about what all that means. You can add your own meaning to that according to your own Bible knowledge. What did it mean when God the Father sent him? Jesus says, I now send you. What should that mean in your life? I want you to bow your heads, please. Every head bowed, eyes are closed. In just a moment, I'm going to turn the services back over to Pastor Paul. But right where you're sitting, I really would like for you to respond to this message. And I have no idea how God may have pricked your heart or what God may be leading you to do. I just know this, that whenever God's word is read, whenever it is preached, there is always, always one response that ought to be done every time. And that response is simply this, obedience. You ought to obey the word of God. And so right now, right where you're sitting, eyes are closed. I want you to listen to your own heart, listen to the wooing of the Holy Spirit this morning. What is he saying to you? What does he want you to do to obey God's word, God's message this morning? And right where you're sitting, I, I want you to say to God, God, I don't want to say no anymore. I don't want to say wait. Uh, I, I don't want to give you excuses. I don't want somebody else to do it. I, I want to do what you would have me to do, Lord. And, and just confess to him that, well... So many reasons you couldn't go on and be obedient, but today you want that to change. Today you want to accept God's challenge uh, to you to be sent ones, 
to be God's plan A in getting the gospel out uh, to this world? What is it that God would have you to do? Who is it that God would have you to talk with? God has brought some lost people into your life. And for maybe fear of being ridiculed, the fear of them not understanding, you've yet to stand up to them and say, can I share with you what God has done in my life and how God wants to do this in your life as well? Maybe there's a person that you need to name right now in your prayer before God and say, God, prepare their hearts for me to speak with them this week or the week after. God, prepare my heart to have the right words Uh, the right gentleness of spirit to speak to them about what you want to do in their life. Would you pray that, please? Father, I'm grateful for this opportunity to represent you this morning. And Lord, I would hope that the Holy Spirit has reminded us that uh, being a disciple, a follower of you, means more than just showing up at the appointed time at Cornerstone Church. But it means living our lives fully outside of the walls of this church in obedience to you, taking advantage of every opportunity that we have to tell others how much you love them. And I pray, Lord, that your will would be done in this invitation, that you would continue to bless this church, that they would see souls saved, Souls in the baptistry water. And Father, disciples made that make disciples as well. Lord, it's in your precious name I plead. Amen. In the palace, in the land of mercy. King looked down from his throne He saw the sick and the homeless and hungry He saw me lost and without hope And moved with compassion He sent out his only son With the invitation to come This is your invitation Come just the way you Come find what your soul has Outside the gates and trembled in my rags of unworthiness, afraid to even stand at a distance in the presence of holiness. And just as I turned to go, 
gates swung open wide And the king and his only son They invited me inside This is your invitation Come just the way you are Come find what your soul has been Yeah. 